Is age important to you, Brian, first of all? Not really. You know, I've had a, a good, full life. I've enjoyed my life. And uh, to say that I, I'm not overly fond of being 80, but at the same time, it's, it's just a number. I'm no different than I was when I was 79 or 70. At the first time I probably felt a bit old was when I came to 75, but that, that passed by and I moved on. But I kept so busy in life, it was never a problem for me. In all the years I've known you, one thing has always struck me. You have a razor-sharp memory. You can remember matches, people, meetings, occasions. Did that always come naturally to you? I think it did, but I remember being at my boarding school in Monaghan for a discussion with, with the students there, and there was a psychologist or a psychiatrist there, an ex-student speaking, and he was explaining that you're given so many brain cells, and if you drink... You use an awful lot of these brain cells with every drink you take, and I, that might be one of the reasons. But I had always good power for quality. I kind of had associated everything with maybe things that happened in the business or in the football, so I could relate those things to occasions. But, you know, I'm thankful that I have such a good memory. When we think Donegal and think GAA, you know, people will think of various generations. They'll Michael Murphy might pop into their head or... A certain score that a player got, whether it was uh, Anthony Malloy or a Martin McHugh, but most people will probably think the name McAniff. Do you like having that mantle? I don't particularly like carrying that mantle, strange as it seems, uh, but I, my involvement goes back to playing minor 59, 60, 61, winning a junior championship with Bundon at 60. Then I lost a couple of years. I went to Canada in 62 and I returned in 65 and won a championship and then I came home in 66 to run the hotel my father taking a stroke so I lost a couple of years because Donegal won Ulster under 21 for the first time and I happened to be in Canada at the time and they contested an Ulster final for the first time in 63 and again I was in Canada and that was disappointing not to be there so then when I came home I got into the team and uh, then in 67 my father had the stroke uh, took me into Pat Britton, the solicitor, and he, he had him set up to tell me that I had to retire from county football because I had responsibilities in the hotel and I had a fairly sizable family for a young man at the time. And I said to my father I would quit. But then he died in February 68 and Donegal were stuck. One day they were going to play in Sligo and Hugh Daly, the county secretary, phoned me. Have boots, will travel. And I went in. My mother, of course, had that strong GA background, so she had never any difficulty with me going back. And from that on, I was totally involved. I want to go back to that in just a couple of minutes, but can I take you further back, much further back? What's your earliest memory, whether it's a football one or a family one? Well, you see, uh, the National School here in Bundorn uh, wasn't going well so my mother took the three boys the three older brothers and myself who had only done one year in the convent just next door to where we were sitting and she sent us to the school in Art Farnham where we walked out in, in and out every day and there was absolutely no football out there nor no particular interest in football not but when I was going out in that crew that was going out was one Bernard Brady who played later played for Donegal St Joseph's and Ulster uh, was in that crew as well but uh, I was living here on the main street, consequently there wasn't a lot of football being played. 
and whatever football was played was a little bit of soccer we might be kicking the ball around but my interest wasn't that great and then a man called Master McGuinness when I came back into the National School in Bundoran he set up uh, school leagues I remember the first day I played in the junior leagues I came back and my father asked me a question what were you playing? I said it was in goals and he says how did you do? I conceded 12 goals <laughs> so the following day he was travelling up he was a great Sligo Rovers fan to see Sligo Rovers and I saw this boy called Hanley playing the goals for Sligo Rovers and I saw the way he was handling things so my father bought me a pair of black thorn boots which at that time was a big big deal and uh, the next day I was out believe it or not there was something in knock at the time and quite a few of the other teams were missing players and I got to play out the field and once I got out the field I knew that that's where I wanted to be and where I was at and from that on you know I got very involved in the school leagues through Master McGuinness. He was a marvellous man for everything, for by Gaelic football, Irish dancing, Irish language. He was a Monaghan man and uh, he generated that interest in me. Plus my father brought me to matches. If it wasn't the Sligo Rovers, it was the St. Donegal, who were not that great at the time, but I loved sporting Donegal even back then. So it sounds like your dad was quite supportive sporting-wise. Oh yes, and not just in all sports. I, I, I remember him talking to me about tennis and talking to me about Lou Hode and little Mo Connolly. And then, of course, we had Christy O'Connor Sr. here at the Golf Pro just up the road and he went down to the hotel and himself and my father would share a few drinks, a good few drinks, don't we say. So hence a great love for the golf because Christy Sr. won the £4,000 in these these parts and coming in on the train to the station here in Bundoran, it looked like, like a fortune. But to him... He, no matter what the sport was, he seemed to have an interest in it. He was able to explain to me what the sport was about. There was no television that time, so you had to make a picture, even from the point of view. I had an interest in hurling. I became a Wexford hurling fan from the records in '56. Biggie, Billy, Bobby, and Nicky. I could I could envisage these boys playing, you know. And uh, although I had never seen a game of hurling at all, I just had just this. And of course, Michael O'Hare was on the radio when he was. He was super to us, just listening to the radio. So, you know, from that on, like, Tony Gall won a national, in, into a National League semi-final in 52. I remember I was left at the train station in Bundoran, as I was in 54, when the juniors went to an All-Ireland final. And that was sad, you know, because I wanted to go. I had been to the earlier rounds, but I didn't get up that time. People wouldn't bring you to the matches at that age. Right. So my first Ulster final then was in 56, and what a day. Donegal won the minor championship for the first time. And Tyrone, my mother's home county, won the senior championship for the first time, beating the famous Calvin team. So all of a sudden, I just caught fire, and then 57, Donegal were beating the minors, unfortunately. And uh, Tyrone won, beat Derry in the Ulster final. And I got to the All-Ireland semi-final for the first time. I went up on the train from Carrick Moore to support Tyrone, and I cried when Tyrone were bet. So you had a grow for Tyrone through your mum? Oh, yes. And through my uncle Johnny, who had played with, with Tyrone previous to that. And uh, Donegal had, had good players at the time, and they were never far away, because I remember in 57, uh, I had gone back to boarding school, and a very famous name called Sean Ferder came back to St. McCartney's from St. Eunice to repeat his match. And uh, he was picked on the Donegal team at right cornerback. He'd been on the minor team before, and... Uh, he went to the president and of course you were never let out that time 
But my mother came to visit me at the boarding school with my brother Sean, and she took a small journey out to Balagali area where my aunt Susan was. And when we got there, I knew that Donegal were playing Tyrone and Pomeroy. And I said to Sean, we go. He says, you're not supposed to go. I says, go. <laughs> so I went to Donegal, actually ran Tyrone very, very close. And if they had a free ticket that day, they would have beaten Tyrone. But I remember coming back into the study hall, and the dean was there, and he says, why are you? I says, I had diarrhea. <laughs> and I couldn't wait to see Sean Ferder, who I'd never spoken to before. He was like, God, to tell him that I was at the match. <laughs> he wasn't enamoured. As a materialised, Sean then left the college early and, went and joined the Gardaí, and we later became friends when I went to college in Dublin. I'm trying to imagine Brian McInniff, the footballer, because there isn't much YouTube footage of you in your playing prime. How would you describe the sort of, once you discovered that outfield was where you wanted to be and not in goals, how would you describe yourself as a player? I was a hard-working player and because I took a keen interest. And when I went to Canada, I played semi-professional soccer with the Toronto Roma. And the, the coach there, little I know, coach manager he was, he was a hung, Hungarian, was involved with the Hungarian team of 54. His name was Stecky Ostop. And, of course, they had a great footballer called Pus Puskas, Fernick Puskas, and another striker up there, Grossick, and Grossick's was in gold. And I had a great interest, and I was sorry then that West Germany beat them in the final. I think they, they kind of knocked the spark at the middle in the earlier part of the competition. They beat England 6-3 in Wembley and 7-1 in Budapest. They were a great side. So this man took over at the Toronto Roma team. He had left during the Troubles there in '56. And I, I learned a good bit from him as regards coaching. I listened to every word he would say. And, of course, I was playing a standard of football, Gaelic football in Toronto for, for Clannagale. There was four clubs, and I happened to be secondary at Clannagale. And I played a bit of hurling, and the only reason I played because there were two Cork lads. They were all short, short of hurlers, and they would play football for me, provided I would hurl. And I hurled what I got from Grip. I thought I was a lunatic. But, but as long as they were happy, I was happy. And we were, we were getting good results. In fact, we won two hurling championship medals since 63 and 64. So what age were you in Canada at this time? Just roughly? When I arrived in Canada, I was just 19. I was my birthday that, uh, that December. And was it exciting for you? Did you suffer from homesickness at all? Like, were you a bit of an adventurer? Well, my, I was homesick when my father, who again had lost his father early in life, left me at the train station in Sligo to go to Dublin to catch a boat to Liverpool, to Glasgow, to Quebec, and then to Montreal, and then the train into Toronto. I was lonesome then. But there were exciting times. Toronto was in the f was. Uh, was only a young city at the time and it was very hot weather during the summer which I found difficult to cope with but the fall of the year was nice and then they had a great hockey team in Toronto ice hockey they won two Stanley Cups there when I was there and I was working in the hotel a super hotel it was the largest in the British Commonwealth at the time and I used to get an odd ice hockey ticket but it was way up in the gods but I had good eyesight I could see what was going on and then of course I watched the Canadian football which is akin to the American football and I had a keen interest in the, basket, the baseball. I used to support the Los Angeles Dodgers. So I, as you can see, I had a great interest in all sporting occasions. But I played Gaelic football, and then I started to go to New York to play for a team called Cavan, 
Donegal had no team in New York at the time. And then it made a New York team and won a National League medal back in 64 against the Dubs, which was great joy because I had played, as a, as they call him, a banger, totally illegal for Clannie Gale when I was in Dublin because I was playing at home. I won a senior league with them as a corner forward those years. And I used to tell them I was older than I was so I could get on the senior team. <laughs> People be trying to shave years <laughs> off. I was telling them I was a year older. Nicky Whelan was a great Dublin footballer playing in the clans and uh, Holden and Kevin Coffey at Kerry was playing on the team and I got friendly with him. So I was all the time inquisitive. I was always learning and listening and trying to pick up what I could and still would do it. And still done at the time of the All Ireland and anywhere I could get a grain of information that yeah. could help the side, I would pick up. I want to learn a little bit about the ambition you had as a young man, as a young footballer. You mentioned you played minor with Donegal before you went to Canada. Yeah. So you were out of the Donegal loop in terms of county appearances for a few years while you were in Canada. Like, was that in the back of your mind? I want to get well, back I, home and play senior for Donegal? I wanted to play senior football for Donegal, so I was lucky enough that what I was. 18, I was selected for the first as a sub for the first round of the National League. I remember Frankie McFeely, who was later a great Donegal football, not that much later, only 12 months, phoning Frankie up, and Frankie was in the subs, and Frankie said his father wanted him to wait another year. But I couldn't wait another year. I'm going into Slavins and Ballyshannon and get a pair of togs and socks, so they were gear, and getting in as a sub against Armagh, who'd been rushed to final against Down in 61, and ran them to a point actually. So it was a great occasion, but then of course I took off, and then Donegal had this success. They, they beat uh, Cavan in the Ulster semi final to get to a final. They beat down in, in, in the old Lagan Cup, and here was I in Canada, and this was happening at home. And then they started on the 21 competition, which drove me clean mad because I'd been captain of the minor team, and I thought I would have been there or thereabouts. The captain of the minor team that was managed by Frank O'Donnell. And later did I know that Frank O'Donnell's stepson would marry my eldest daughter. So we had a great tie, and Frank came to live in Bundorn, and, and uh, you know. How does a young Brian McAniff in Canada get the result of how Donegal are doing at home? Are you relying on phone calls, letters? How does it work? Phone calls. I couldn't wait for letters. <laughs> that My father posted me on the Democrat uh, periodically, not all the time, and that kept me in touch with all, all that was going on, but... It was eating my heart away, and actually, when I came home on holidays in '65, uh, Longford had a good side at the time, and Donegal were after losing. Uh, uh, it went through a three-game against Cavan, and Edward Quinn, who had been on the Ulster Council and was on Donegal County Board, had arranged for a challenge match between coming Longford side and Donegal in Bundoran, and they were having tea and sandwiches before the game, and Hugh Daly, the county secretary, came in. He says, Brian, have you a pair of boots? As I have. I always had a pair of boots. <laughs> he says, you'll get a game today because a lot of players haven't turned up here after being beaten in the championship the previous week. And I got in to play against Longford up in the park. At that stage, I was a wing half forward. And the little that I know the guy who was playing was a fellow called Brendan Barden who was playing for not only Longford but for Leinster. I remember taking a goal on three of them that day, you know. And I came home and then there was a club called St. Joseph's Farm, which is an amalgamation between Bundoran and Ballyshan. And I got to play a couple of league championship matches during that period. And that was a good side. So when I went back, I remember Cotty saying to me, you're very unsettled. I says, I miss home, but I miss the football. The standard of the football was so much higher than what I was playing. And I wanted to get back. And little did I know, my father would take a stroke, which took me back to an hotel in 66. 
made my debut then in the championship in 66 I had a bad game the reason I'd been transferred into a halfback by Jim Danach Gallagher <coughs> to play on Joe Corcoran of Mayo and played well got onto the Donegal junior team and was elevated to the senior team made my debut against Cavan in Breffney and a fellow called Leighton Murray burnt me and I was taken off in the second half my god was I ever sick did that crystallise determination though in you, never oh, to let that happen again? Never happen again because I played on him in the league the following November and uh, I, I stood in front of him because I had pace as well and I wasn't going to let him outpace me to the ball. Where do you think your leadership inclination, your leadership abilities came from over the years? You mentioned you were secretary of a club in, in Canada Toronto, quite yeah. young. Like did, did, did you show an interest in when I was captain, being a leader, I was player manager, and that actually was the start of where I got involved in managing teams. But then I came to run an hotel at a very young age. I was twenty-two, going twenty-three, and uh, I had to take responsibility. And then I had a young family, which gave me more responsibility. And it wasn't that I set out to be that, but it came came my way. And then they set up a minor board in 68 in, in Donegal for the first time. And they were looking for a team manager, and I said, I'd do it. And before I knew, I was a county team manager, 68, 69. Of the minors. Of the minors. And that brought me in, and, and I didn't know an awful lot about Donegal football. In fact, the first time I played in the county final when I was home on holidays in 65, I'd never been to a Donegal senior final, although we won a junior championship ourselves. As a young team back in, in 60, but that was my first viewing of Donegal Senior Championship football, and it was successful one, thank God, that day. So, did that give you a taste for well, further I, managerial ambition? Not overly at the time, it just the, the minor thing was just there. Uh, the, the senior thing just came out of the blue because we were going very badly, having had a good set of players in the 60s. Uh, we just lost the senior championship against Antrim in 1969 and Antrim beat us again in Casement in 70 and things were very low ebb and in 71 we went up to play Leitrim who hadn't won a match for some 15 months and they hammered us out of Carrick and Shannon that day, hammered us and I remember the players sitting in the dressing room, the team manager didn't even turn up, sitting in the dressing room and each confessed what he had done, was some player said he came down to collect his travelling expenses, another man said he'd been out in a party the night before and I was kind of more mature player, so I was asked to go and get a team manager. So I went to Mick Higgins, who was the Ulster team manager, great cabin footballer in his time. And Mick said, no, Brian. He says, but I see in the papers that you're managing a minor team. He says, do it yourself. And he says, I'll give you a hand. So I came, came back and I told the boys about it. And off we went. So it was as simple as that? A Just conversation with Mick Higgins? A convert. I was looking for Mick Higgins to manage the team. Because Mick was well regarded. He had taken that Longford team to a National League final success against the Great Galway team and to a Leicester Championship success. So he was the man I wanted to do the job. And was there any resistance from your teammates at the time? You know, here was, here's McInniff coming in with the man. He's, he's, a, he's one of the players. He can't be the manager. Well, you see, when I started first, I remember, you know, boys were talking about getting together. I think we had eight or nine at the first training session. So I had a push and pull. I remember Mickey McMahon was a great McCool's player and, and it was difficult to get him out to train on him in Ballabuffet. But, you know, I put pressure on all those players and eventually I got a squad of players together 
And with 13, that team that was beaten by Leitrim, we won the championship for the first time. So the football was always in Donegal. And when I reflect back, probably the, one of the best set of players, maybe if not the best, were in the 60s. And we never see, succeeded in winning the Ulster Championship. Four national leagues in five, semi-finals in five years, but no success. When you became manager, did it change you as a player? I wouldn't think so. You know, I had people on the sideline. I had Jim Denatch Gallagher, who had a fair good read of football. Like, he would have played for Donegal and Ulster in his time and would have managed St. Joseph's. You know, and uh, it wasn't easy. There's no point saying it was. Austin, I'd done my best in the circumstances. I was new and I was raw and I had the heart of a lion, of course. And uh, I was constantly learning. And I can remember uh, meeting at the late uh, uh, John Morley from Mayo. And uh, Mayo were quite good at the time when I was asking about how they were training. Because I was actually training the team as well, lunatic that I was, about the, what we were doing in training sessions. He was up here during the troubles as a Garda. So, as I said, I was learning. And then things happened. I was on an Ulster team that won the Railway Cups back in 70 and 71. And uh, then it was an all-star team went to San Francisco in 71. And who was I sitting beside but the Kerry team manager? So, naturally, on the flight over, I was picking his head. And on the way back, I happened to be talking to a very good football called Mick O'Dwyer. Little did I know where he was going to go about all the things that were taking place. And I was picking Kerry players' heads as regards what they were doing or why they were successful because here I was playing against Kerry on an all-star team and I'm looking at them and, and the following year we played awfully and I said, do you know our footballers are just as good as these? But we don't believe. And, you know, it was a matter of trying to get through to the players this self-belief. And the second thing was I used to make the players from the were minors mingle. Used to come maybe the good old lads are tog there and the letter Kenny lads are tog there and the St. Joseph's lads are tog here. I made them mingle and that was a big thing because I had no baggage because I had no baggage because I had no early life in Donegal football. So to me they were all Donegal people. So I didn't care where they were from. So you're learning from other people, other counties about what's the difference between success and not believing in yourself. Yes. Talk me through then 1972, a landmark year, Donegal's player manager, Brian McAniff. Well, we played down in the McKenna Cup in Newry. And it was a fine sunny day and we scored a draw. Now, down hadn't, Donegal hadn't beaten down for a lifetime. So when we got them back to home, I, I put out a, a makeshift side. In fact, I played full-back myself that day on Sean O'Neill. So when we played them at the Ulster final, I knew what I wanted to play and how I wanted to play. I remember getting John Hannigan, who had more or less hung up his boots, a great footballer, Hannigan. And I wanted to play him as full forward on, on Dan McCartan, who was a tough, uncompromising footballer. And uh, it proved to be a good stroke because... Every so often, Dan would hit a bad kick-out, full-back shoot the kick-out, and, of course, Shimmy Brown from the town here got the ball. And he had pulled Dan McCartan out, and Shimmy came in and hung the ball in the top right-hand corner. On his side, right-hand corner, goalkeeper's left hand. That goal was the deciding factor, and it was Hannigan that created the space for Shimmy to go on and score the goal. And we hung on for that goal lead. And I can remember late in the game, they were forced to 50, and Dan McCartan, the big bulky man, came up. 
and I remember a Donegal plane, we'll take everything above the grass. <laughs> but Frankie McFeel, the captain of fetched he had great hands, Frankie, and that was the winning, well, the game was over at that stage. So then we went into the semi-final, and at that stage I was on the Ulster Council representing Donegal, and Clonus was a home venue for Cavan. So I would do or die, but get them out of Clonus, and I had my way, and I got them to Irvinstown. And Cavan were up eight points at half-time, and we were stand, they left us standing in the drizzling rain outside, and some Cavan man shouted and sent out the jerseys. But I had a minor from the two years before called Mickey Sweeney. He'd been in the depot in Templemore, and he was in great shape. And I stuck him <coughs> in, and between himself and the late Joe Winston, they brought things alive, and Joe Winston kicked points for fun that day, and we got a draw. So when I went back to Ulster Council, it was Clonus on over. By the time we got back to Clonus, Sweeney was established now at full forward. And we rang them ragged in Clonus that day and beat them. So it was then into the Ulster final against Tyrone, who had beaten a very fancy Derry side. And uh, I felt happy that we played Tyrone, but we didn't play in the first half. We had a nightmare. And before half time, the box to goal to put them five up. And, and uh, things looked grim. I remember it was a wet day in Clonus that day. I remember changing my gear. I had a hot shower and then a cold shower. Jumping up in a At half time? Half time. At half time. What happened was, the night before in the hotel, the chef had left stuff boiling, or glass boiling, the gas fire. And it caused a lot of smoke to go up to the hotel. And a man came up to the house he knew I was living here and got me down at six o'clock. Now, I had gone home early the night before, having gone to the cinema to watch The Quiet Man. And I was very relaxed. And here I was at six o'clock in the morning, so I wasn't feeling that well in the first half. But over the second half, things went well for us. Big Seamus Bono kicked a high ball in, and the poor Tyrone goalkeeper Hart lost it in the air, fumbling into the net, making it a draw game. And I remember getting the kick out and kicking the point to put us ahead. We went on to win by five. It was a great day, and a great day for Donegal. It's hard to explain to people nowadays that 72 in its time was as big as 92 was in 92. I saw old men crying that day in Clonus. It was a great day. So then into the semi-final, we met Offaly, the All-Ireland champions. And I had played in San Francisco against Offaly the previous spring. And I had the thing well matched up. And we had a goal disallowed for some reason before half-time. I don't know why Carney's goal was disallowed. <clears throat> but we were leading by four points coming out of half-time. And out in the second half, but the, the ground is down, for want of a better word. They weren't as fit as we were, but they knew how to win. And uh, we came back, and I remember we got a, a goal to bring us back to it in sight. And it was a St. Joseph's movement. I give it the ball to Carney. Carney gave it back to me. I give it to Shamey and the ball in the back of the night. We were working the very same gig again. And Carney was always a very sharp passer of the ball. And I can still see the ball. He hit it too hard. It was at the top of my fingers and I couldn't get it. Now, whether Shamey would have got another goal, I don't know. But awfully, we were a smarter team than we were. They knew how to win. But it was great in the fact that you had Six St. Joseph's men playing the team, three from Bundoran, and three from Ballyshannon. And I remember Padden McGee, who was a great Donegal footballer, talking to me after the game, and he says, well, fair credit to St. Joseph's players. They had that self-belief, having won an All-Ireland Club Championship some years early in 68. 
that they believed that they could play. But it wasn't there enough, no matter how you tried to do it, it wasn't, because I remember a player shouting, as we were going out onto the pitch, and Porrick McShake kicking the door close. He says, keep down the goals. As materialised, goal was a deflection goal, and it was the only goal they got. Okay. Well, off the back of this life-changing summer of 72, when Donegal win the Ulster title, and the effect it had on you and the people and the county, you touched on it there, you mentioned St. Joseph's, you mentioned Martin Kearney, because alongside all of this, you were part of a very prominent club team called St. Joseph's, which was an amalgamation of Bundoran and Ballyshannon. How did that amalgamation happen? It happened because depopulation, I suppose, at the time. Bundoran had got to a minor championship uh, semi-final where we played an Ardra Killybeg selection. So that gives you an idea. Depopulation was affecting them as well. And uh, we were beaten. I remember a fellow Rodden was playing. He was Killybeg's lad. Big Brady was playing for us. And Owner O'Neill then came along with the suggestion that we should, with the two clubs not doing that particularly well at underage, that we should play together. Now, we were beaten in the minor final in 69 by Goudor. Donald Breslin got two cracking goals against the wind. Then Dunlow beat us in the semi-final. And then the following year, we beat Dunlow in the final. Now, Dunlow would have had about five, if not six, in the county minor panel. And uh, little did I know that the like of Mickey McLoon, Declan O'Carr, Shamie Grannon, a very young Parik McShea. And we rattled the net five times in the first half. And... and uh, they were the lads that were later to make fame for St. Joseph's. So Owen Rowe then, on the back of that, came to Bundoran the first year I was in Canada and made a suggestion that maybe should amalgamate St. Joseph's. Now, at the time when I was in Canada, being a great Bundoran man, it didn't sit lightly on me. And like, were Ballyshannon the big rivalry for you back then? Not really, because they were poor. We were somewhat better than they were, but they had gone very poor. They hadn't players, but what, they had, what we didn't realise at the time probably was this batch of players that were coming through from De La Salle. They all went to De La Salle, but except Bishop McDade, Lee McDade and myself, we went to St. McCartney's. So they were all tutored inside in De La Salle, which is a great GA school. And that's actually the success of Joseph's. It grew because in the first two years, uh, McCool's, who had won the championship, beat them in the semi-final both years. And I, here was me in Canada reading about this happening at home. And then I got home then in 65, won a championship. And then back in 66, a final that was never, ever played, which is a great regret to me because we would have played McCool's. But they wouldn't play us in McCool Park. They wanted us to go to Letterkenny. And Jim Delatch and Danny Midlinchy, who was the county chairman from Letterkenny, went lower heads. And the game was never played, which was unfortunate. Why was this St. Joseph's team so special? The lads had been at De La Salle, they were great players, there is no doubt. Like McLoon was an artist with the ball, there is no doubt. His, his, his bad knees and the knee operation at that time for cartridge was a big cutting job on the side and he got both knees done. And um, I remember we were playing Ulster Club Championship against uh, Casablini Fogs in Irvinstown and it was a Donegal man, hit him a foul kick. That day in Irvinstown was the start of his problems. There's a proud tradition of special Donegal players wearing knee bandages. I'm thinking of Tony Boyle, oh, Anthony Malloy, Martin Noel, Gavigan. Noel but was Mickey McLean the original of the species? He would have been the original of the species, but his was down to wear and tear and 
got that savage kick that night against Castlebrini Fogs, and uh, he played on. Now, if we had a McLoon and Big Brady playing in '72, God knows where we could have gone. But Big Brady had just qualified as a doctor, and Mickey's knees were shot. Now he made a big effort to come back, and I don't think he he took time enough to let him, the knees settle in because you know nowadays with rehab they can do an awful lot of things, but. Mickey was impatient and unfortunately went out of football, which was terrible, terrible loss to St. Joseph because when we won the All-Ireland Club Championship in 68, uh, he was well marshalled by John Donlan in the park in Bundoran, but still with a couple of minutes to go, he got that one yard on him and he hung it in the net. And again, it chewed him the same. He just had a great eye for goals. He scored more goals in 66 and County 11 in the six months or seven months he played than anyone else for the twelve. You mentioned something very significant in passing there in 1968. St. Joseph's won technically an unofficial All-Ireland Club Championship, but this was when it was a fledgling. This was amazing new ground, wasn't it, for this team to go and beat the best in the country? I'll show you the cup outside. I got to keep it. Right. Which was nice. You know, it was... It was if jo- if St. Joseph's... There was, there was never a, a club called St. Joseph's. There was a team. We ran it one year, but the Shannon ran it the next. Had that been properly organised... God only knows what that team could have done. We could have won every senior championship, I would imagine. But we could have provided Donegal with a, a base of to be successful that had never been there before because this capacity to play football and self-belief that was in them and confidence. McLean was a super confident player. And God, when you get the ball up to him, everything was possible. And then you had Shimmy Grannon and you had actually a man from North Slego a fellow called Danny McCube, he was a guard. He was here in compassionate crowds because his father died young, leaving a very big family. So he was transferred to Bundor and he was a cracking corner forward. He played for Sligo and Connacht during those years while he was playing with St. Joseph's. Man, there's a lot of people forget. And then we had a highly intelligent centre-half forward called Peter Quinn. We used to call him the fat man. He was bulky, but he was a highly intelligent footballer. And Shimmy Granham, that was some forward line when you think about it, you know, for a club side. And then you had the like of Bernard Brady, you had Porrick McShea, myself, Declan O'Carr, Kieran Dolan. They were super footballers. What colour were the jerseys back then? They changed. <laughs> it could be white. One, one year I got maroon jerseys. Uh, and initially we would have played in the green and white of Ballyshan and then black and amber, but that went by after about two years. So it was a lottery as regards. But by and large, we preferred playing in white. And to this day, there's still an affinity in both towns for St. Joseph's. I know the thing has evolved and there's rivalry now. We had Bundoran playing Ballyshannon this year in the Senior Championship in Donegal in your yeah. 80th year. But it does rekindle, I imagine, memories of that famous St. Joseph's team. Oh, well, you know, like, although I went to boarding school in Monaghan and had great rivalry with Ballyshannon, there was no one here who would think as much of here as I would. I think they're a super club. That would have come from my father. My father used to take a drink and he'd go into the great Dodger McDermott into Ferguson pub in Ballyshannon. And he never had any of that sort of baggage. As had the like of Declan O'Carroll or Shamey. We grew up with St. Joseph's and we were Joseph's players, you know. And that is still, is still there. I would still have a great craft for Ballyshannon. If we can't win it, I'd like to see Eruva do it, you know, because they're a, they were always a great club and it's nice to see them back up near the top. 
So to take you back to the county scene then, 1974, another Ulster Championship run comes along. Yeah, we had been beaten by Tyrone in a very fractious match. in The Battle of Ballybuffet. The Battle of Ballybuffet. I would say there was 15,000 at the match. This was 73? 73. Now, we hadn't got the support that we have nowadays. Was it as bad as people say, Brian, or is that just folklore? Uh, there was 10,000 people from Tyrone and there was five from Donegal and we were playing at home. The sort of chance that would come in there, uh, free state bastards. And then Neely Gallagher, who was playing a whale of a match at the time, uh, got hit a foul blow. It's alleged there was a stone in the man's hand and he was hospitalised for a week. And it left a very bitter taste between two counties that always had a great relationship, as you would know from talking to me. And I suppose it was just that period in my time when I had just kind of turned against Tyrone over the incident and all the sort of stuff that was going on during the early part of the troubled times. So when we went to play them the following year in Healy Park, which was the first championship match ever, in fact, we opened the Healy Park nine months beforehand, uh, I took the team to Jackson's Hotel the night before. Michael Lafferty's father was driving the bus and he was playing midfield. He was only out of the minors in 72. And we togged out in Jackson's Hotel. We drove right up to the entrance gate, right out onto the pitch. And the agreement was, as soon as the final whistle went, no matter what happened, we were going back out there. And Mickey Lafferty's father knew a shortcut to get out ahead of the crowd. And we ran out and onto the pitch, one by a goal, out onto the bus and back to Jackson's Hotel. But the atmosphere was just much the same, intimidating, as it was that day in Ballabuffet. It wasn't pleasant. It might have been quite as bad because Tyrone had won the Ulster Championship and we were the underdogs on that particular occasion. But it wasn't just nice times for playing Tyrone at the time, but thankfully that has died. In a peculiar way, did that experience help galvanise the 74 team? It did, and, uh, you know, when you go back to the semi-final, Antrim had quite a useful side at the time, having won in 69, the All-Ireland Under-21 Championship, and had been in the Ulster final in 70. And we had difficulty playing Antrim at those years. And in the semi-final that year, oh God, we had a cracking game. Seamus Bomer hit four goals. I think it was probably the best match I ever played for Donegal was that semi-final against Antrim. And uh, we were going well. But a couple of things happened in Crow Park. Uh, we had a bad start. We pulled the game back together. Uh, Seamus Boner slotted a penalty. And we were back in the game. It this was game, a, that was which one? A Galway in the semi-final. He was in on goals again and the Galway goal could come out and hit him and crack two ribs. So he was carted off. Then, a short time later, you can see the thumb. You're showing me your two thumbs and one is bent and one is straight. Yeah. But that was shaved right off. You lost your thumb. Fielded McShea's kick out, torn, called a halfback, hit me, went to ground. Natch always said, hold on to the ball, and I was holding on to the ball. Then Galway half forward, who was wearing what you shouldn't have worn, the steel cleat. I took the whole top, ball and all. So it was hanging off like that there. There was no doctor in Crow Park. Looking at my brother, but the doctor was there. So I had to go off just before half time. 
So having performed like we did in the Ulster semi-final, we would have been a sizable loss psychologically and as players to Donegal. And an average enough goal aside went on to play in the All-Ireland final against Dublin. But uh, it, was, it was a sad day. Sure. I remember coming in at the end of the match and Andy Corn was beside me and the two of us cried. I cried because I was a year older or so, so than Andy. I thought we would, might never get back, which was that side was materialised in. In 73, I got the team to Wembley. And in 74, John Kerry O'Donnell said that if we won the Ulster Championship, he'd take us to New York, which we didn't do. But John Kerry, being the rogue that he was, uh, the first Sunday was Donegal Ulster Champions versus New York. Second Sunday was the young New York side versus an experimental Donegal side, plus the New York Championship final, which was Kerry, New York versus Donegal, New York. And I was playing for Kerry, New York. So when I came home, I got sacked. You got sacked as Donegal manager? Having won two Ulster Championships in three years. And how was that information conveyed to you, do you remember? Well, I suppose the fact, I suppose I was headstrong on the fact that Donegal started to come as a side. I remember in 65 playing a, a match in, in, in Gaelic Park for Cavan. And it was the main match. Cavan had a good side at the time and there was a parade before the match. And I was looking, I said, oh God, there's four Donegal men in this parade. There was Huey Coy to Gador, Yankee Tommy Gallagher from Ballet Shannon, myself and the late Brendan McHugh. And it was Donegal's field day. And they started with a junior club that year. And they made their way up. So coming into the late 60s, early 70s, they were bringing players out. And I was never asked out. So I had something up my nose about it. So when John Kerry asked us in 1971, when we were over, uh, on an illegal trip playing for an illegal Ulster side, would we play for Kerry because some of the Kerry lads had gone to play for Donegal. Myself and McShea said we would. So that was where that came out of. But a little did I think that it would come to haunt me in, in, in our visit to New York with the Donegal senior county team. And did that cause big ripples at the time? I know we didn't have social media back then in the 70s, Brian, but... That was pretty seismic news for Donegal, or was it? It was, and, and uh, well, you always had that resentment for Bundor and Ballyshannon, which still, in a way, exists. There's no point in me saying otherwise. It still exists, and unfortunately, from time to time, you could see maybe a bit an odd referee that, that wouldn't be very fond of us from Cashelard down, and... Um, that was the way it was. And John Hannigan came in as, as, as manager, who was a good friend of mine. Now, John didn't even go to the county convention. He was elected. And it was rather awkward for him because he was me, the previous manager, playing under him. But at that stage, I had built a ballroom. The hotel was getting busier and it wasn't meaning as much. Uh, we won the Mechanic Cup in 1975 which was a pity in a way because we peaked a wee bit early and Calvin came to Balbuffy and beat us in the first round. Okay, so what I'm hearing there is that your day job was getting busier, so in point of fact, it might have been a bad thing on a personal level that you had more time to your professional career. On top of that, I was getting on in age, let's be fair about it. And then in 75, I'd done something that that, uh, didn't help. I pinched a sciatic nerve and I remember going into a Dr. Shannon in Sligo and he sent me down to the physio, a lady of physio, and that time physios were really hard to live. 
and I was looking to get ready for the championship. I'd hurt it early in the season, and I said to the lady, I said, so long will it take me to get back? She says, I should, you should be back in action by about six weeks. And she says, what age were you? Well, I was up in age. And I told her, she says, you'll have trouble, and she was spot on. I lost that burning pace that I had. I had an extra gear that I could call on. And that gone, never to return. Well, on that, can I take you back to something you mentioned a few moments ago? You, you mentioned in passing the Ulster semi-final in 1974 against Antrim was, you feel, the best game you ever, ever played, played for Donegal. Yeah. Why do you say that? I just had one of those games. I was playing on a guy that, uh, that he wasn't a great player, so he was giving me a lot of space. And I can remember going up the right wing and I remember hitting a sideways shot to Seamus Bourne who was in full flight and he buried into the ledge. And people would talk nowadays about that goal. It was one of the greatest goals of all time, you know. But we had a great understanding, Seamus Bourne and myself. In fact, Seamus was involved with me in every success I had at county level, whether it was either a player or a selector. And we had a great understanding. He was a hell of a good guy and a great footballer, a great striker of a ball. Like he kicked the two penalties in the Ulster final in 74. Scored both of them, you know. Not an easy thing to do, but he was a great player. And I do believe if he'd been living in the county, he wouldn't even have been a greater player because he wasn't over on the training, Seamus. But he was a hell of a, hell of a guy. And that day we really, we owed Antrim a good beat and we gave them a good beat in that day. And then Clonus, I can remember so well. So from your best game for Donegal, can I ask you about your last game for Donegal? And the reason I want to, this year Michael Murphy, as we know, has stepped away from inter-county football and he has spoken about, after the qualifier defeat to Armagh in June, leaving the ground and thinking about, can I be the 100% Michael Murphy I want to be anymore? And, and, and chewing on that over the summer months, Anthony Malloy remembers his last game against Tyrone in 94. He knew straight away his body was telling him, this can't go on. What was that last game for Donegal like for someone like yourself? Well, that that uh, day uh, in 75 when Cavan beat us, it's ironic uh, that I sent him, Cody, the we'll go to Cork. I was very disappointed in having been beaten in the first round of the championship and packed the kids up, headed down to Cork, stopped at her sister in a in, uh, place outside Charleville, Ballyhay, and uh, having a wee snack, and then we were heading cross-country to East Cork for a change to see our brother, Tig, uh, and uh, just beyond the, the farmhouse where they lived was a sign for Donnerail. Donnerail, seven miles. And when I came to where the signpost was, it wasn't, wasn't there. So there was a man on a bicycle, and... I went over to talk to him and says, hey, uh, is that the road to Donnerail? And then I looked down and I saw the signpost on the ground, they're doing a bit of work. And he looked at me, he says, you didn't do so well yesterday. And I said, I won't say what I said to him, but I wasn't very, haven't driven the whole way to get away from it. But I suppose that's defeat in 75. I went back for a brief period of time in 76. And I... A common Armagh side who contested the Iron Final in 77 beat us in Armagh in the athletic grounds in a very contentious game. I remember Big Griffin and Joe Kieran were sent off in it. I remember cracking the crossbar about a couple of minutes to go. There was a young man called Brendan O'Leafy who played minor in 74. 
and I came in and hung up a short. I never said I was retiring, but I never really played again. I might have played as, as a sub or... In a there was no announcement? There was no announcement. I just faded away. The same in club football. I didn't want any announcement. I just felt it was, that was that. And that was probably 76, yeah. So at that stage I would have been, come Christmas, I would have been 34. So where was the next hunger coming from? Did you want to be manager of Donegal again? I'm not too sure that it was. It was a good sting. Business had got fairly big. Joseph won the championship in 76. Then they broke up. And Bondoran won the intermediate championship in 77, which would have caused the demise in St. Joseph's because we had to go up. That was the first year it was played and Bondoran won it. And I was player managing the Bondoran team. Then in 78, Bundoran won the Senior League without a loss, and it was an all-county league at the time. We should have won the championship in 78. And then in 79, we won the Senior Championship. So I was getting a good buzz without having to overstretch myself here with, with the club, and that was the home club, Bundoran. And uh, then uh, Bundoran decided to go to America in 1980, and I was still very involved at administration almost was and I was at a county board meeting and Cody was up to speed and Bundoran were going to America in the week and she says don't come back here if you take that Donegal job but she what did I do so I took the Donegal job there was no one interested in taking it and I came back and I didn't go to America I went out about five for five days later on and she didn't travel the only reason I went out because they've gone up to Toronto and I had arranged for Toronto, and my lad who went to Toronto was living in Toronto. So I went up and I stayed with him for the four or five days, and I flew back to New York and came home with the boys then. But um, I went back to Donegal then, 1980-81 season, and we were in bad shape at the time, really bad shape. And I remember we played Armagh in the first round of the championship in 81. And there was a group of players there, good lads, but not good enough. So I came in and I... I'm trying to play Tipperary uh, in Emily. And boys like Matt Geller and boys like that were only 17, 18. Paul Carr was 17. I threw the whole lot in and Tipperary beat us. I remember coming home on the bus that day. I didn't speak <laughs> until we got to Grange. Someone came up the bus. He says, Brian, you'll have to talk before you get up. <laughs> But I remember coming off the pitch that day when Tip Peters and I was talking to this man. He came over to he knew who I was. And he, was he says, you're a very, very young side. He says, I will win the Norster Championship in the next three years. About 18 months later, I was driving around Navin looking for a furniture factory to buy furniture for the hotel. And I flagged down this squad car. And I says, I'm looking for factory and he said I says I'll drive you over so he drove over when I got out the car he says you don't remember me but he says I was the guard was speaking to you and you told me you'd been lost the championship in three years he won it a year early <laughs> the same guard that was playing yes. for tip was there so we came in 83 and unfortunately then in 84 we we just did not play well and by 85 sure I was sacked again this is becoming a habit, Brian. Ah, yeah. Well, but of course, I lost. I lost my minor team manager slot way back in 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 uh, in. I went in at sixty, sixty eight, sixty nine. I lost it in seventy. Danny Harkin took over for a year, 
And so all I got was three votes. And in fact, remember the first time I stood for the council for for Bundoran. Bundoran and Balishan were together, and Mickey McLoon was going for the Ulster Council, so you voted for two, so it was the understanding. One McNiff, two McLoon, one McLoon, two McNiff. And I can remember Jim the Natch putting the thumbs up. Uh, we had six votes, uh, three for the minor team and three for the junior team. But I shan't have nine votes because they had a hurling team. I only got six votes. <laughs> six more votes. <laughs> but, you know, that was a politics in the GA that I didn't understand, but I learned to live with it as I grew up, you know, and no more than the minor team I was sacked and I only got three or four votes. Are you, were you a dreamer, Brian? And what I mean by that was, at what point did the possibility, the ambition, the vision that there is an All-Ireland in Donegal move on to your horizon realistically? I would have felt that, you know, when I got sacked there in 85, that we could have maybe had success. But to be fair, and you know, I was disappointed at the time, Tom Connor won an under-21 championship in 82, and he was entitled to his run. You know, you have to be fair, and, and Tom done a good job for the period that he was there. He I got them up from Division 4, Division 3, to Division 2, and Tom brought them to Division 1. And uh, so I had that driving ambition, and I remember P.G. McGowan, who's still a very good friend of mine. P.G. had done great work at uh, uh, vocational level, one and two ball irons. Then he won an under 21 all iron 87. PJ came up to see me. He says, Brian, he says, I'm thinking of going for the running of senior job. But he says, hey, PJ, there's no point in me telling you lie. He says, I'm going to go myself. I says, I want one more crack at it. And uh, PJ went and Tom went and eventually I got, got elected. So the pressure was on. So I told him I wanted to win an all iron before I was 50. That night in the country board meet when I was elected. You told the delegates. Yeah, so we won it in 1990. And uh, 91 was a difficult year. Things weren't happening that well. And he wasn't playing that well. And, um, this was it, Down's return year, of yeah. course. We had played Down in the McKenna Cup and we hammered them. We played them in the National League in Bannishan and we hammered them. We went to the Ulster final. Uh, Anthony wasn't playing in the middle of the field. And there was a bit of disruption. There's no point in saying that there wasn't disruption. Could have been partly my own fault. But, but a, a down team with a very good forward lane and a poor defence beat us and went on to win the All-Ireland. And I was sick. I was delighted for down. I'm a real Ulster man that way. But I was sick that we hadn't been there, hadn't been there in 1980. But we, we doubled our efforts in 82 and the rest is history. Like... Dublin beating us in, in Breffney that day with two late goals definitely drove us on because I made I called a training session for the following night in the rugby club in Donegal Town it was the wettest night God ever sent and we trained in the driving rain that night and they came in to the shower for the showers and I said we're not having any shower sit there I said we're going to train like dogs and I said we will never ever be caught again and we got so fit that time I think we must have gone for 14 months without defeat but they were an ageing team. That team should have maybe had more success back in the <coughs> couple of years beforehand. But it didn't happen that way, and it was great that we won one. 
And you obviously had to handle conflict, and I'm wondering how you did that. Did you find that easy, find that difficult? I mean, as the manager, you've got to make tough decisions and you've got to disappoint well, players. I can remember, actually, in in, in uh, 93, I was at a, a championship match down in, in McCool Park, and uh, Chauvelin uh, had been left off too. I, I love Chauvelin. There's no point in saying I still love Chauvelin. And it uh, wasn't easy leaving people off that you cared so much about. And uh, I waited on the first one I met coming out with a shelf. And let's be fair, there was a few, as my mother says, soldiers talk, talked, because I always would talk and they, they would talk. And that's the way I wanted it. And Sheriff uh, says, Brian, I missed the first two. Before National League games before, I won't be there for the first two. And I says, that's understandable. I said, that's fine. Then I met Anthony and then that was a real bullying match because Anthony actually got married that year. And he was to send me an invitation for the wedding, and I gather he burnt the wedding invitation <laughs> in Killian Biggs. <laughs> so that was a right good bowling match between myself and the that one thing that Anthony wanted to be was captain. And of course, I, I loved Anthony as a captain because he, he had that leadership quality that one wants in a captain. And uh, I said, That's fine. But he says, If you wouldn't mind, he said, We'll wait till after Christmas. His knee was a problem, and he was going to an orthopedic man in Sligo who didn't want him playing. And I got him to go to a different orthopedic man who had a football back, background. So this is winter 91, is it? Winter 91, and coming into 92. He would come with, with a heating pad on his knee and go home with a bag of ice. So by the time he finished in 1894, we finished the same day and went to Rome Betis. He was running sideways, Austin. He just, he was in mortal pain. But he was such a soldier that he was trying to go on. It was terrible to have to take him off in Breffley that day. So when he finished, I finished, and that was it. I really, it was him kept me there after the 93 Ulster final because on the way home with the bus that day, came up just we were coming into the he says, you stay on, and I really didn't want to stay on. Can't say I enjoyed that last year, no, it wasn't, it wasn't for me, you know. They had, they had given their best that side, they were an ageing side. You know, those lads there at 30, 31, uh, given an awful lot to Donegal football. But there was still not another roster championship with them, but I didn't I didn't want to do any more in 93. But I stayed in 94, and it was not, not where I wanted to be. Just before we get to that, can I take you back then to 92? Is there a moment during that season, a training session or a conversation, an incident, a match, a score where you said to yourself, this is our year? I uh, came in after beating from Well, who had a man sent off at half-time and I'd give his game enough in the first half. And the wee man, who again was like Anthony, they were both leaders there, uh, wasn't happy about the training and uh, decided to up the, up the training. So we'd done two, two, set, two weeks of very hard training, which you shouldn't be doing in the, and then one week of sharp training and that brought us on a power as well we upped the ante again further like Anthony Harkin was a great trainer and he, he hit the boys he could get that bit more out of the boys than most and they trained like dogs they knew that at that stage in their own hearts particularly the older boys that it was Shader Bus that year and uh, they put it in and they got the returns uh, the only blip we had was, was, was against uh, Mayo, and particularly in the first half, where we didn't play well against Mayo's side. 
But this old psychological barrier of, that we couldn't win in Crow Park was there at the back of the minds. And, and uh, they came good in the second half and Manusk went in and he steadied the ship. Would you, would you believe it? My, I was at that game because my cousin was playing for Roscommon in the curtain raiser against Armagh. And I do have a memory of it being an awful semi-final quality-wise. But it wasn't about the quality. It no, was about who won the game on a day like that. I wanted to win that day and the Manus came in and he steadied the ship. And I can still see uh, the penalty being awarded late in the game and Martin looking over the sideline. There's a good photograph of myself pointing up over the bar. Kick it over the... Don't go for the goal. No. <laughs> because he wouldn't have liked it stuck her in the net. But... Uh, over the top and then he, um, can st- I can still see him jumping because <laughs> he knew that was it but we had a poor first half that day and we didn't play well that was a big strong the old side they weren't easy to play against but that wasn't the reason we should, should have played an awful lot better on the day but you won and you're in an All-Ireland final Yeah. and the dream is, is within there? touching distance without going into too much detail what was the build up like? unreal just unreal you know, and uh, I had them well tutored, I'd have to say, as regards but the build-up. I was in touch with John O'Mahony. John O'Mahony drove the whole way to Bundoran, two foods pack paper. I was there with Arthur McCrory, who'd been in the Ireland final. Arthur had been disrelated me on the Tyrone man. And again, he tutored me well. So we had, we had the lead-up excellently planned. We would give Dublin all the latitude that they wanted and all the hype. We let the hype go to them and we kept it low. In fact, the press night was the Tuesday week before the Ireland and it was in Bala Buffet and I called the training session for Wednesday. I took them to Kilkar. Where no one will see you. No one will see us. Ran the shite of them. <laughs> that was it. That's the way it was. And I told them to read no papers. Put them aside. I said, you can read them after the Ireland. I said, we don't want to know anything that's going on. Just let us focus on what we're all about. And I can remember... Saturday gone out before the, the day before that era and Corrie put her hand in the jam at the door Brian is any way she says that you could reconcile your mind to the fact that you could be beaten tomorrow I says hey woman we're not going to be beaten tomorrow I was so sure that we would win and I remember the Sunday before the All Ireland a phone coming, coming through to the Great Northern he just be down Sean O'Neill and he talked to me as only O'Neill would talk I could feel the hair in the back of my head standing up with O'Neill talking to me he says, you tell that McHugh man, he'll have to go down the barrel to go next Sunday. And when McHugh went down to the centre of the defence, I knew what O'Neill was talking about. I knew that, that was we were going to win that game from that. And that was only early in the game. We had a bad start, we had the penalty. We could have scored three goals actually in the game. We James hit them. Now, I never really got around that. Did we James three go for the goal? He was such an end of the devil. And then you had the one there where Malloy boxed a great ball to Tony Boyd. He rounded the full back, gave it to Manus, and Manus, with great feet, put her over the bar. And then you had late in the game, Manus fetched a great ball from Barry Cunningham and Declan inside. But I was happy enough he took the point, but we could have had the third goal there. Listening to you, you're reminding me of things now. I was working in a bar in North Sligo the day of that All-Ireland final at 19-year-old, and the match is on on the telly and you're watching it in snatches it always struck me it was such a complete Donegal performance across the pitch and I don't know why I say this but every time I looked up at the screen 
Martin Gavigan at centre half back was stopping a, Dun- a Dublin player. He had this majestic game, it seemed to me at the time, that every attack that tra- they tried to go through him, he stopped them or he intercepted or he got a touch, a nudge. He was he able to. have been very close to man of the match. And if Mana hadn't scored what he scored, he would have been man of the match. There is no doubt about that. Rambo had a super game that day at centre-half. And I remember, actually, to talk about winning the match, uh, the year before, Roscommon were beaten in the semi-final by Mies. Now, Roscommon were up four points, going into about eight minutes to go. And uh, their team manager was staying in the Great Northern Hotel the week after they were beaten. Meath came back point after point after point and won the game. And he said to me, you know, he says, Brian, he says, I could see the game slipping through my fingers like sand. And he says, there's nothing I could do. So when I saw Dublin coming back when we were six up to three, I put my hand on Ronald Cole's knee and I says, no, I'm going in. I says, I'll spend £300, but I says, it'll be worthwhile. So I went in there. Malloy had faded a bit. We man was up on our 21-yard line. They were pushing us up, so I got the boys back. I put a couple of shots in the Malloy. I won't say what the language was, but it wasn't. Because <laughs> I could see Rambo, who was a club mate in Malloy, looking at me as much as saying, what are you fucking doing on Malloy? So having got to the far side, I came back over again. And I put my hand in laws and I spent six hundred which has been well worthwhile lot. Because from that on there was no way they were gonna beat us. What do you remember about the final whistle? Uh, I thought about people like Hugh Daly, the Dodger, our own Edward Quinn and Bill Shee and Sean Meehan. These great gales that were there, some of them gone through eternal rest. The people that, you know, as a young boy I looked up to as, as more so as officials than, than anything else. That was what went through my mind. Uh, nothing else, really. Uh, there was a young lad which sadly was killed and, and, and got in over the wire with a couple of minutes to go and got over as far as our dugout. And Mickey laughed. He says, me, what are you going to do? But I says, leave him there. He had a hairband here and he was on my shoulder the whole way across. He was killed that night on O'Connor Street. And then she says, you can see it on television if you ever look at it. And there was also something else happening behind the scenes on that day in relation to the McMullen family, which just the emotional toll on that behind the scenes, if you don't mind talking about that, but what was happening behind the scenes on All-Ireland Final Sunday? We, we, We were so settled going into that game that you couldn't believe how settled we were. So the boys went out to watch the minor match. No, I could never do that. Never, ever. Still couldn't do it. And I'm sitting inside in the dressing room, and Michal Gillespie, former county chairman, the, the Central Council delegate, as he was at the time, came in, and he says, Joyce McMullen's brother's dead. He says, you won't be fit to play him. He says, Chief, I says, Jesus, I don't know about that. So he left, and when the boys came back, I was pacing up and down, and Matt Gower, he used to go down the car with me, he says, what's wrong? You're all uptight. I says, I've something in my mind. Something on my mind. This was Joyce McMullen. So I said to myself, if Gerard was dead, he would want Joyce to play in this match. So consequently, we would play the match. That's a big decision for you to make. It was a big decision, but I knew that Gerard would. I knew the McMullens. Two under the line six. 
telephone number and the head. So I, as soon as the match was over, I knew that things had to come back to normal. So right, Bishop Austin O'Kenny, the doctor who was Gerard's doctor and myself, into the shower with Joyce, told Joyce, brother was dead, told the boys, and it was like puncture in a balloon, the atmosphere. So it was decided then, four of the boys to go home with him. We'd scale down the operation in Malahide, and that would be it. So this is what's happening in the Donegal dressing room, after moments the, after winning and lifting the Sam Maguire. Joyce's sister got her way into the dressing room. She says, Jared's not dead, not dead. I'm still in my football boots. They were multi stored boots. I says, I'm, I'm out here, way up the steps to Crook Park, into Highland, not into your plant. Uh, I says, I need to phone. Phone McMullen's 21996, Miss McMullen, who was an older lady, answered the phone. Says, How's things there? It's great, Brian, great. How's Gerard? Fine. I says, That's great. Say, so I phoned my mother in Bundoran. I had to get a second car. And there she was, answering the phone at reception at her age. And she held up the phone. She says, Bundoran's come to a standstill. There's no traffic moving here. They're just blowing horns outside for the last half hour. So down the steps of the camera, sure then, of course, having to take off. Joyce was over the moon. He died, the brother died within the next 12 months. What a gamut of emotions, though, yeah, that must have been going on. But I, I, I got, I, I suppose, of a strong will, and I got it out of my mind before I went out onto the pitch. And the only thing that bothered me when I had to kick around with the start, I came into the dugout with Anthony Harkin and, and Seamus Boner and, and uh, Mickey Lafferty, and I said, I'm not satisfied that I'm not as settled as I would like them to be. We're still more nervous than I thought, but then, what did you expect, I suppose, really? And consequently, we were slow to start that day. But once the wee man kicked over that ball to come off the upright, that got us settled. But still, there was the penalty kick. And you know, it was cheap call when you look back on it. Like, I still would have a, a tape there from time to time I'd listen, and Colm O'Rourke would have come out fairly strong if there wasn't really a penalty, you know. But be that as it may, the referee was a good enough referee, the Kerry man. To what extent did 92 change your life? Well, I thought that it didn't, but my good wife, uh, who would know me better than most naturally, she would say that it definitely would have taken me away for a period of time. I'd done my best not to let it take me away, but because things that I don't afterwards... Um, went down the county with the team and I, the one place I wanted to go was in the show and I didn't I take sick having done uh, come into Larrakenny that night and I had to get lift down I actually asked Paddy Geller St. Junior's player to drive me to Jackson's and Philip McLean picked me up in Jackson's to come home and I go straight to bed and Cotty locked the wardrobe so I couldn't get out so I had a stack of newspapers and I pile of letters, the amount of stuff I read that time, read for two days so on the Saturday Rambo was getting married so I phoned Parik McShea, said Parik bring me out a pair of trousers and a short <laughs> he picked me up with the front car he was away and away we went to the wedding, the wedding was over they were going into Jackson's for the meal and I was only about an hour there or less and my head was spinning I said, the poor, I'd take me home. I said, I'm not well. So I had to go home. But by the following day, there was a championship match on in Malabar. So 
way I went to the championship match. And then uh, on the Monday, I went to Cork, my wife. And uh, remember the big farmer's thing that's on every year. It's generally in leash now. It was on, and her eldest brother, Ty, was there with two pair of Wellingtons. It was very wet. Went down there, and I remember going out to the, the dogs. Her sister was married to a doggy man. And who did I meet out there but Jim Barry Murphy? And he would do her day, would have a presentation, you know, and then the, the Cork examiner heard telephone, they had a reception right away. You know, and it wasn't easy to settle, and I wanted to go to settle, so then I said I'd go, I'd go to Mallorca the following week, and what did I write about? <laughs> a group of cabin footballers. <laughs> Came back, and then was the first round of the National League against Kildare, and... Uh, I remember meeting Mick Dwyer in the middle of the field and we had a great friendship over the years having played together with Kerry in New York and he had this smirk on him as much as to say I'm going to debate you here today. <laughs> so I'm back up to the boy saying, you know, what had happened to you? Don't let this kill the side or Dwyer bait it. And I remember moving Barry McGowan out to the middle of the field where we were struggling. Big Lynch was playing well in the middle of the field and we, we, we topped Kildare and we won the whole games in the National League which in hindsight was a wrong move. Should have rested the whole lot because they were an older team and gradually things started to happen. Uh, Rambo got hurt, not playing in those the final. Malloy got hurt, not playing those the final. Reed got a broken jaw in a club match, not playing. Biggest loss of all. Tony Boyle got this mysterious injury, which put him by the football for, for a whole year. And Noel Hegarty got sent off in the semi final. Missing off the bench then was Tommy Ryan, who was a great Ulster Championship footballer, and Barry Cunningham. So there was there was seven of a squad missing, you know, on a wet day in Clonus. Ulster Country should never, ever have played the game. I don't think anybody who heard it or watched it or was there will ever forget the conditions that particular day. But the way you talk about those players, you still feel very close to this 92 oh, team. Oh, yeah. I, I had a birthday card yesterday and a mass bouquet from Gary Walsh and family. Uh, my connection with Gary would be, first of all, he's of an age with my son, <coughs> Shawnee, who in the early part of the year was in a Donegal squad, would you believe? And I went to school in Ardfarna with his mother. So I had a lot of connection with, with, with Gary's family, you know. But he's a very fine boy, Gary. He was in Drummond when we came in on the train that night to Drummond. But we were locked inside, as was the follower. Do you remember the follower? I do. Cormac McGill, the great Cormac McGill. Yeah, he was a, a Drummond man as well. But Gary was was an accountant. He was working actually in Drummond at the time we came through Drummond. But uh, that's the sort of relationship you have with the boys. Like even during the lockdown, I took it upon myself to phone every one of them. And I remember Christmas, that Christmas, I phoned everyone on Christmas Day. You know, there, there's a special affiliation with that group, but there had to be. People nowadays say if you're going to be a club manager at any level, male or female, you need an understanding partner to be that immersed in Gaelic games. For someone like yourself who has been so immersed in GAA, player, manager, administration, all your life, you clearly have had that because it wouldn't have worked otherwise. her name. Cotty. She loves to be called Cotty. And uh, she she was my rock. That's why I call her my rock. Uh, my mother was a big help, I'd have to say, Austin as well. 
My mother she was made of steel, there's no doubt, Carrick more woman that she was. And when I came home, you know, even from the point of view of development, I went down to say and I bought the old Hamilton Hotel at the worst possible time at the start of the troubles in 1969-70. Like when I went in to, to, uh, to tell her I was going to buy it 100%, you know, that was the nature of it. She, she feared nothing. She was a Carrick Moore woman. But she was great, as was Cotty. And Cotty helped the hotel and worked. And we, we lived in the hotel for a couple of years when we came home first before we bought this house in 67. And uh, she, I don't know how she struck me, Austin. There's no point in saying otherwise. For a woman, and now she didn't go to the lair and she thought she was a magpie. And she went up that day with my daughter Catherine, who had a big wedding in the hotel, and the two wee ones. Would she not have gone to many Donegal games? Oh, very rarely. Although I tell a story about her that's quite good. Uh, you can imagine the amount of games I played in the cool park, and she never was there. And I played with Donegal, and I had an Ulster team that play. Uh, well, in 1990, Cork were a Ireland champions, and we went down to play them in Cork, and Frank Murphy closed the gates. They turned the pitch unplayable, and we had to go back the following week, and the betters with a late goal. So the following year, they were coming up to, to play in Ballon Buffet, and I said to the boys, I says, we'll train for a couple of weeks for this Cork team, and we give them a good scalp on that day. They were still all Ireland champions. But she had never been to McCool Park, but when I came out after the Cork match, who did I see stuck in traffic but herself and her friend Layla McHugh, Brenda McHugh's wife? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> After all these years, she comes to McCool Park because Cork were there. But that's, you know, she had that Cork blood in her. So like the time I was down in Cork, as materialised Cork were playing Dublin in a replay. And the first match in Crowe Park so Cork demanded a replay to be Park at and I got two tickets from Frank Murphy so when I got in to that farmhouse with the two tickets she claimed the two tickets for herself and sister Joan so I was left, left to go and stand with Charlie on the side <laughs> on the terrace but you know she would even yet with Donegal playing she she can't sit and watch it. She gets too uptight. So consequently, she didn't go up and she listened to the radio on the way up, switch it on for a second, switch it off, stopped in, in, in Mullingar to pray. She'd be good to pray. Came out the road about five miles and the Lynch's had a pub. And she went into the pub. She says, can I see the presentation? He says, I'm only here. I'm from Kerry. And he says, this is my son's place and that's private quarters upstairs. But I have to see my... And she said something he'd never take from her. She says, I'm Brian McNeil's wife. She says, if you're Brian McNeil's wife, you'd be a crow park. She says, well, believe it or not, I am. So she got up to see the presentation. But she didn't go to the match. She thought she'd be a magpie. That's <laughs> she didn't go up. And the two wee ones were with her as well as Catherine. But she still wouldn't go to the matches, you know. She'd just be too frightened and too fearful, really, that we wouldn't do well or something would happen. The emotional toll as much as anything else? Oh, yeah, the emotional toll. But uh, she was great, like Mina said. She just... Well, she came out of a GA house and the sister married her that great cock footballer, Mick Bork. He was a super footballer, Austin. It was terrible the way he was done down by me that day. He would have been footballer of the year as well as Cork would have won that iron, but for the injury. But. This is my last question. To this day, 
Brian McIniff, it's not uncommon for you to be spotted at a club game, adult or underage, and it might not be in Donegal. For example, you might be driving from Sligo to Donegal and you pass a village like Grange and you see there's a match on, you'll pull up the car, the peaked cap on, and be spotted watching a match that you have no ostensible connection to. I would be looking for talent. I can remember uh, seeing Grange play 1971 and I was speaking to one of the mentors out there and I says I like that big long boy oh, he'll never make a footballer four years later I went in to help Sligo in 75 to win a common championship he was playing South half forward his name was Matty Hoy Hoy or whatever they call you know just things like that you see it's like Jimmy Brennan I went back to an under 12 team and we were training down in St Patrick's Hall First day, this small wee boy's there. And I says, what age are you? He says, I'm nine. I says, you shouldn't be here. I want to be here. Very shortly afterwards, I knew he should be there. There was just that talent, you know, just that lightning pace he has and torn a pace and the capacity to take a goal. Although he should score more goals, I do take it. ask him to take a look at Canavan's goal in the 2005 All-Ireland when Muggsy Mulligan caught the ball and fed it. I said, he passed the ball into the net, Jimmy. I said, you don't have to rip the net. A goalkeeper, I says, when he's there, he, he's like that there. You keep it on the floor, I says. He'll never get it. But sure, I love talent, just, you know, like Murphy is such a loss, I, I can't even start. I could cry, actually, when I think of him. And on one of these days, I'd go down and see him before, before too long, and I'd want to see if he'd come back for the championship. Because you can only play for a period of time. The only thing is, Michael has a lot of football played. I can't take that from him. Does, does his retirement feel like a county bereavement? It is. That's just the best way to put it. Down for a National League match three years ago in Cork, I went in Larry Tompkins. Friend of my son, Sean, used to play the AT colleges together. He was the first one I heard about Larry Tompkins. And I went into Larry and the pub was busy. It's, it's that type of pub. And I said, what about Murphy? He says, he's the best football player for the last 10 years. Can you see any more? And Murphy, for bias football, he's just a lovely boy. I still call him a boy. He's just a lovely boy. An only child. My old father, very involved in the country, executive for many years, and his wife, a lovely, lensworthy woman. It's just, he's just a very special man, and he's done so much for Donegal. Like, that day, that pick-up out of the sideline against Kildare, and him hurt, the way he flicked it up, culminated with Cassidy's point. What a point. You know, the, the other thing he says you can never forget, he's just, that goal in all Ireland against Mayo, Lacey's ball floated in, torn, bang. Just, uh, he, he was special. Like before that we had McHugh, and now we have Murphy. And it's great to have that level of talent available in the hall. Well, Brian McIniff, may you continue to spot new talent around the place for a while yet. Happy 80th birthday. Thank you very, very much, Austin.